When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Greg Bedard Patriots Podcast with Nick Cavins. All right, so we're going to get into the Patriots. We are going to have some other stuff to talk about as well with the uh, Boston sports scene, but this is the Greg Bedard Patriots Podcast with Nick Cattles, brought to you by betonline.ag, fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Before we get into the Patriots, Greg, I have some Celtics thoughts. You have a couple of Bruins thoughts. We both have Red Sox thoughts. A lot of overreaction to game one of the Eastern Conference Finals last night. And I'm not going to excuse that third quarter. It was brutal. That's that's the worst quarter of basketball that you could witness. It was bad all around. Tatum had, what, six turnovers? But I just think there's a lot of overreaction after one game. Number one, the Celtics lost a home game to Milwaukee in game one of the second round. So th- this is not some unknown territory. Number two, you're on the road against the first seed in the Eastern Conference. People are treating Miami like they're the YMCA. They were the one seed in the Eastern Conference for a reason. You were without Al Horford and Marcus Smart. So I I think in the big picture, losing the first game of a conference finals on the road is not the end-all, be-all. People have to relax and calm down a little bit. Where are you at, Greg? Yeah, I I agree with you, Nick. Look, I I think you know, and certainly some of our readers know, I'm not the biggest NBA guy. Like, I, I don't watch all season long. I'm more of a, hey, I'll check in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, some nights, cause it seems to me that the NBA always ends up tied somewhere around the fourth quarter in the first day. Certainly the first half doesn't really matter in games. And so that's what I've done. But I will say right. with this Celtics team, I've watched a lot of games front to back in during the playoffs, which I can't remember the last time I've done that. Um, you know, as soon as I started watching this team and of course I, you know, we have John Corrales at BSJ who does a tremendous job covering the Celtics, former college basketball player, really knows the ins and outs, uh, gives you the X's and O's, sort of like I do on football. So if you're interested, come check us out over at BSJ. And so Corrales has done a great job. Brian Robb before him uh, have always done a tremendous job on the Celtics. So I know what's going on with the Celtics. And I know it was rough. Then they started playing well. And, you know, I got to say, everything that everyone said about this team, about how you know, they're now fun to watch and they're fun to root for. And I totally agree with everything. I think Udoka has done a great job. I was immensely, as soon as I started watching the Nets series and especially in uh, early in the Buck series, I'm just like, holy hell, can this Celtics team play defense? Which a lot of NBA t- games I've checked in on over the years, I've watched and I'm just like, this is gross. This isn't even basketball. No one's playing defense. It's just let's shoot three pointers. And I I'm I have been immensely impressed with the Celtics and I still have some lingering questions about, you know, exactly how good Tatum is and whether he's, you know, enough at this stage. I think he's close. I don't know if he's quite there to put them over the top, but I will say I completely agree with you about game one, you know, let alone all the circumstances that go uh, that have gone on. Yudoka um, just, uh, he, he was held out of a press conference today. So they got that going for them right now, but look, I know enough, and I've covered some of the Celtics uh, 
you know, playoff games in the past, you know, this, this heat team is tough as hell, especially Jimmy Butler. And they're going to, they're going to land some haymakers on you, but the, the ultimate test in where I think people come out and they say the Celtics should win this. And they, you know, they might be favored to win a title is because the Celtics can go 10, 11, 12 rounds where the heat can, I don't know if they can last that long. I don't know if they have the depth of talent that the, that the Celtics have and can play defense for game after game and quarter after quarter like the Celtics can, which they did against the Bucks, and that's why they won that series. Um, you know, so I, I, I agree with you. I'm not panicking. It was one game. Let's see where this goes. Even if they lose two in Miami, I, I, it, it's not going to make any difference to me because I think that this team is is a little bit different when they come back to the Garden and I think that they're really good when they get their backs up against the wall. And I think Tatum, after hearing him talk last night, say, this is on me, that's a good sign. Because he normally comes back in the next game and he answers in a big way. So uh, I'm cool. Yeah, I thought I thought Tatum stepped up in the postgame last night, took responsibility and accountability. Again, he was got off in the third quarter. I don't want to make it sound like I'm excusing everything last night. I'm not. But I think if you're the Celtics, again – it's the seven game series. It's the Eastern conference finals. You're not going to sweep them. It's game one on the road. Miami had not played since Thursday. They've been sitting home, relaxing for four days. So I do think when you look at the big picture, if you're the Celtics, I don't think last night freaks you out. I think you look at last night's game and say, look at in the first, second and fourth quarters, we outscored Miami by 14. We had a God awful third quarter when we were outscored yep. by 20 freaking five. If we, if we fix some things, we'll be fine. It was a seven-point game late in the fourth quarter. If we don't completely implode in the third quarter or any quarter, then we have a chance to win this series and get to the finals, as long as you're healthy, because I do think if Horford and Smart are out long-term, that's a big-time issue defensively for this team. All right, your quick Bedard Bruins minute. Uh, my quick take on this is, look, they played a better team in Carolina uh, you know, Carolina is go, 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 go. Bruins couldn't keep up. And I was not surprised they lost that series. Carolina is the second best team in the conference. Uh, I thought they would lose the series. I thought it was borderline impressive. They got it to seven. They played awful in Carolina for the most part. And the same issues, Greg, to me, I, I thought their defensemen let them down. I thought McAvoy let them down uh, in game seven. I thought Swayman was fine, but they don't have enough depth scoring and they just, they don't have enough finishing. And, and that's been the story of this team for quite a while now. Yeah. And if Bergeron decides to retire, I think that, and this is my big takeaway and you know, if Patrice retires, we'll deal with that down the road and we'll talk about it because it's worth talking about because um, there are a few professional athletes that I've been around in my career that I have more respect for on and off the ice than Patrice Bergeron. And if he retires, and this is my issue with the Bruins and Don Sweeney, it's that it exposes the lack of depth and young talent on this team even more. Because I think Bergeron, Marchand, Pasternak at stretches have covered up for the fact, and it ends up being their ultimate demise, that they don't have any depth, that they haven't drafted well, that they haven't developed well, and they don't have enough in the pipeline where – you know, I watch a lot of hockey. I have a son who plays hockey. My wife, you know, our whole family enjoys hockey. So we watch a lot from college to a bunch of NHL games, minor leagues, everything. And what stands out when you watch the Bruins compared to other teams, like, you know, like the Carolina Hurricanes, is that 
The speed is just different. The Bruins play a different brand of game. Can they they can slug it out against another physical team? Um, you know, ultimately, will they hold up or not? I don't know, but I like their chances against those teams. But faster teams like the Hurricanes, anybody from the – you watch any of the Western Conference games, you're just like, they play a different game than the Bruins. And the Bruins have to figure out how to play more that style because that's where the, the game is going. And I think that unless they get more young talent and faster guys, they're going to be on the short end of the stick going forward, especially if Bergeron isn't back. I hate to bring this up, but you have to when you talk about the context of the Bruins and and not having enough scoring, not having enough finish, not having enough speed, not having enough youth. 2015 draft. I mean, you go back in the major swing and a miss in that draft. That's something that, you know, sometimes it's really difficult to kind of gather yourself and, and, and come back from swinging and missing as badly as they did in 2015. They had three first round picks. There was tons of talent, including Barzal up there on the board, and they swung and missed in that draft in a major way. Sweeney, look, he pushed all his chips in the middle of the table for the most part the last few years, giving away draft picks to bring guys in like Kasha, et cetera. And those moves, they resulted in deep runs. They did not result in titles. And now you look around and you've got two or three really top prospects that you feel good about. But beyond that, yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be an issue. They have to find talent, and they've got to add to this team somehow, some way in the offseason, and I don't think they have a, a, a ton of means to do so. So it's it's going to be a very interesting offseason for them and, and Neely and, and Sweeney and Cassidy as well. And, and the other question, I was reading this the other day, you know, if you if you have to go younger, which I think they have to go younger here, and that doesn't mean get rid of Pasternak or, or Marshan, but I, I think you've got to go younger Cassidy has been known to be tough with young guys. Is is he necessarily the right fit? He's been great for the most part, but is he the right fit? Is he the right guy with a younger team? That's a question they have to answer as well. Uh, I don't have a lot of Red Sox thoughts other than they stink. Uh, They're underachieving lineup, uh, a bad bad bullpen. They they find ways to lose. And inevitably, Greg, after getting to the ALCS last year, not the greatest look for Heim. No, it's... It's not that a lot of, you know, his decisions not to go with, you know, bulk up the bullpen more. Uh, the decision on story, which doesn't look like a good foot, but we'll see. Maybe he just got off to a really slow start. He has had a couple of homers in the last week, including last night. But I mean, and at least they're out of last place in the AL East. Now the Orioles are 13 and a half. The Red Sox are 13 <laughs> games back. Uh, 13 games oh, yeah. behind the Yankees already. So, yeah, um, I still expect them to make a run. They're going to make this interesting. Core is too good. There's too many good players in that lineup, and they start. They often start to hit when it, and when it starts to get warm. And by the way, Nick, it's supposed to be 97 degrees here on Saturday. I kid you not. It's I saw been, that. It was like I had the stove on last week, and now it's going to be 97 degrees. I'm sure you miss it. It's going to be uh, it's going to be a hundred here in Sacramento today, a hundred. So yeah, we're 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 kind of going through it, but uh, out here, I, I, I've I've said this because you brought up the weather, I brought the temperature today. Uh, I, I'm not going to I'm not going to throw the weather in New England's face. I love you, New England. I spent you know more than thirty years in Rhode Island and Massachusetts combined. I love you. Uh, I have no complaints out here in California weather-wise. All right, let's get into the uh, Patriots. He's Greg Bedard. I'm Nick Cattles. Of course, Greg Bedard Patriots podcast with Nick Cattles uh, brought to you by betonline.ag. 
All right. So the talk this week, Greg, has to do with the assistant coaches. First and foremost, the assistants talked to the media back to back days, two days in a row, a double shot for you guys. Why do you think that is? <laughs> I'll tell you why that is, uh, because, look, if you were waiting for Belichick to show that he's still on top of his game, that he can find loopholes and things like that, you know, at 70, that he's still on the ball. Uh, this was it because someone at one Patriot pace read the NFL media access rules and realized uh, it, it basically it mandates that assistance have to be available twice in the offseason. OK, uh, the rules say nothing about when they have to be made available. I mean, most teams say, all right, let's do it before it starts or very early and let's do it after, uh, you know, towards the end. You know, to let's bookend it. Let's just make them available twice. But the NFL rules does not mandate when that needs to happen. So wouldn't you know it? Someone with the Patriots said, well, why don't we just do it on back-to-back days and get it over with, especially <laughs> when we haven't really done anything on the field and our coaches don't really know anything. Let's just do it then. And that's exactly what happened, that the Patriots made their assistance available on back-to-back days. They are now down done with off-season access for assistant coaches all in one shot. And this is what I have to say, because there will be plenty of people be out there be like, oh, you hate the Patriots. This is what the media. Uh. No, look, they got us, all right? We, you know, we messed up. Like, you know, it's, it's our fault for the PFWA. It's our fault that we allowed Belichick to find a hole and drive through it like the Buffalo Bills through his own defense. You know, it's oh. our fault. Okay, oh. it's our fault that we did that. Tip of the cap to Bill Belichick. You got us, chess checkers. We're on to 2023 in terms of media access policies. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk to Joe Judge next year. Thanks, Joe. Uh, yep. So the, the other thing that came out, there a lot of things that came out with these conversations with the assistants, Greg. Titles, 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 titles. Are titles important to you? The titles, no, not really. The, 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 the titles aren't important just because, um, I, I mean, I think it's ridiculous because, <laughs> you know, every other team knows they've put out there, hey, this is our coaching staff. This is who's coaching who. We're our coordinators, stuff like that. And the Patriots haven't done that. I think it's ridiculous. But, no, I don't think what the titles, you know, whether it's defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator, I don't think it's all, all that important. But I do think something else is important, and that's, you know, who's going to be the play caller, especially on offense. We know it's on defense, unless they change it, it's Steve Belichick. He's been doing it the past couple of years. We understand that. It would be nice that they gave him the coordinator title just so he had to take ownership of right. calls and would be put on the spot. Um, but it is what it is. But in terms of who's the play caller on offense – I think it's ridiculous that they haven't named that, that the coaches go out there and say, we don't know. And you know, all that stuff, because look, I can guarantee you just from recent experience that say Josh McDaniels and he has Mick Lombardi out there now as his offensive coordinator, but it's, you know, McDaniels is going to be calling the plays in, in Vegas. Like he was here. I guarantee you that as soon as that schedule came out, they started game planning actual plays for that opening game. And until you can, until you know who's going to be doing that for the Patriots, you can't start doing that. You can start formulating game plans, and I'm sure they are as a group. And they're, each coach has a different aspect of the game plan. But 
you need a guy who takes ownership and says, this is what I want and getting comfortable with calls and things like that. And at this point, they don't know who that is. It looks like it's going to be Matt Patricia, but we don't know for sure. A couple of things, the titles thing. It's not a huge deal to me as long as the players and the coaches themselves have clarity and they know who is doing what and there are defined roles. If there's an understanding across the board in that building, and I have to believe that there is, uh, then I'm not worried about it. You know, titles are for us to talk about and what's this guy doing? What's that guy doing? But as long as people in the building know. I do think it's a very good point, Greg, when you talk about accountability and responsibility, because ultimately when we do talk about titles, that's maybe the most important aspect of all of it. Who's going to take that responsibility? You know, who's going to be the guy when there's a terrible defensive play call at the end of a football game, when you have the Dallas Cowboys situation play out last year in, in Foxborough, And people are questioning, why the hell was that play call made in that situation on that critical down? What's going on there? The lack of a title leaves wiggle room. And it allows Steve Belichick, Gerard Mayo, and Bill, even though Bill will take most of the accountability and responsibility, Mm -hmm. it does leave the wiggle room there to let Steve not get crushed. Um, Even though we have a good feeling that he's calling the plays, Well, did Bill get involved late in the game? Did Gerard kind of hint towards what they should do? It's all kind of a grand mystery. That part I do not like. The play calling, I think it should be Judge. If Judge is going to be the quarterback's coach, which it certainly sounds like he's going to be the guy, I want Mac to have one voice in his ears at all times. I want this set up like McDaniels, like Bill Mm O'Brien, quarterback coach, offensive coordinator. Don't have Patricia and Judge on each side of, of Mac's head telling him something. He needs one clear message. Let it be Judge who is going to be working with him. Uh, so I'm not a huge fan of that idea of having Patricia be an offensive line coach and the play caller. It, it doesn't make sense to me. I'd rather have it be the quarterback coach and the you know play caller for Joe Judge. And I'm not telling you I think Joe Judge would be a spectacular play caller. I don't know that. You don't know that. Nobody knows that. All I'm saying is consistency. And I want Mac Jones to have consistency. And we'll, we'll get into Mac uh, much more in a little while. We also have the most ridiculous thing that Greg heard over the two days and what he thinks that means. Before we get to that, however, Greg, tell the fine people about betonline.ag. Yeah. Uh, sorry, one second. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's basketball playoffs, Major League Baseball scores, fights, and even next season NFL futures. Bet Online is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting and, of course, your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's really easy to get started, so head to the website today or use your mobile device to sign up and use our promo code CLNS50 to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's CLNS50. Bet online where the game starts. All right, Greg. The most ridiculous thing that you heard (laughs) over the two days, and what do you think it means? Okay, so uh, I was the first day. Uh, I was I was in on Matt Patricia and Joe Judge, and um, the most ridiculous thing that I heard that basically like I had to push back on, like he started to answer me back, and I had to streamline it, 
and really be pointed sort of like if you've ever seen like one of these memes like but why was <laughs> was when joe judge talks about like and here's just part of like one quote he's like for us it's important right now for all of our coaches to be able to coach all the skill players okay or for that matter the line players as well as we go through this and as we divide up and run two spot, three spot drills, it's important that if it's a ball handling drill and Vinny Sinceri is running it, he's the running backs coach, that Vinny can coach the quarterbacks as well. We're all on the same page. It's been a main emphasis for us as a coaching staff that we want to make sure we can coach all the players and then nobody's out there, you know, with a lack of knowledge in the offense. Um, so it all sort of stemmed from there. It was all about offensive coaches needing that it's important that there's a, and he also used the word emphasis on us needing to be able to coach all the offensive players. And quite frankly, if he's being serious, if he's, if Joe judge is being serious and I've heard from a lot of people who have worked from Joe judge in the last couple of days about this, and they think he is being serious. It's patently ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. And I pushed back. I said, I said, why does an offensive line coach need to be able to coach the quarterback? Now, look, he talks about things like Vinny Sonseri running up a, a, a ball control drill or ball security drill. Absolutely, that happens on the field. Absolutely. Does he need to tutor Mac Jones on if he's going through the line and Mac Jones isn't tucking the ball the right way? Does he need to coach him on that? Hell yeah. But – that, it's not important. It's not that huge of a deal. You're like, we're not talking. There's a difference between that and the skill, other skills and drills, as Joe Judge puts it, and teaching a guy how to throw a guy open against, you know, cover three. You know, there's a difference between that. And so for Joe Judge, what worries me, Nick, is that he's being serious about this. And he thinks that this is actually important and emphasis and that he needs to spend time on this. He doesn't need to spend time on this. I don't need I don't need Matt Patricia as the offensive line coach getting involved with Mac Jones. You got five players plus bench players on the offensive line to worry about. Billy Yates is around, but Matt's got enough on his plate. You know, the wide receivers coach, uh whoever that is now, I'm getting mixed up. I think Kaylee's with the tight end still. Oh, it's um Troy Brown and 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 Ross Douglas. Like, I don't need them involved with the running backs and vice versa. Like, it's I'm I'm hoping that Joe Judge is just saying that to like waste time and talk and but I think he's serious about it. And and to me, what worries me is that if he's already making a priority out of things that don't mean jack crap, then what about the finer points? Like if if I'm Mac Jones and I'll just let people know right now and you know, just to give a little hint, and I'm sort of working on this in the background, but you know, I've heard from people in the last couple of days about what's going on with the offensive coaching staff. And the initial reports I'm getting back are not good at all. And that includes what they're hearing from the players internally. Like, they, they, it's not going in a good direction. And, you know, we'll flesh that out as it goes for, further and if I get more. Because I'm not run, just running with a couple sources on this. Um, you know, to really get down in the nitty-gritty, I need to talk to more people and make it more well-rounded, but this is the kind of stuff that's going on. And I heard from people like, you know, listening, I, people who were with the Patriots have Patriots ties, heard about Joe Judge's press conference, went and watched it. And they're all texting me, like saying like, what the F is he talking about? Like, this is all wasted energy. And that's my worry 
If you're wasting energy on this stuff, if you think this stuff is important, it's not important. What's important is Mac Jones's development. And, and what I want to hear from this coach is a plan for Mac Jones moving forward. I don't want to hear about you having to coach the running backs or the offensive line. And so this stuff is starting to worry me. If, if Joe Judge is being serious, and I think that he is, and uh, you know, I know we've talked about it before, Nick, that you know this doesn't sound good and we'll wait and see and things like that. But right. uh, yeah, I'm starting to get a little bit worried couple things joe judge loves to talk he is a uh just a non-stop verbal diarrhea kind of guy uh yep. he just loves and loves to chat and yap so take that into account when you look at this and what he had to say the second part is like you said if, if this is true and if he's being honest and transparent i find it interesting that bill belichick's number one slogan is do your job and what yep. is the job yep. of each of these guys? It, to me, when you say do your job, that means focus on what you're supposed to be doing and do it to the best of your ability. And if everybody does that together, we will win a lot of football games. How does that message jive with the idea of, oh, be involved on this side, be involved on that side, be involved with this, be involved with that? It, it doesn't to me. Like if you want to, again, clarify roles and say, do your job, Joe judge, your job is quarterbacks coach and play caller, Matt, Patricia, your job is to work with the big guys up front. That's it. That's your job. Do it to the best of your ability. I don't like the, you know, multitasking across the offense, Matt, Patricia, something else that stood out to you. You asked him uh, why it's a good thing. He's on offense. Uh, What did he say? And uh, your reaction to what he said, Greg. Um, you know, not a whole hell of a lot, but I, I don't know what, he, you know, look, he, he does have some offensive background and he, and he, and he pointed that out a few times, you know, uh, I think it was an offensive lineman in college. He helped, you know, coach there, you know, Syracuse, I think, uh, RPI, um, you know, it, even in his early days here with the Patriots, but, you know, I still don't. He, he, they talked a lot about how Bill, you know, makes well-rounded coaches. I mean, that's that's great and all, but in, in and you know, if Joe Judge wants to be a wide receivers coach in addition to being special teams coach, that cool. I'm cool with that. You know, now we're talking about these guys have gone from basically special teams and defense to now being the brain trust, the guys in charge of offense, and um, that's what worries me. That they, you know, they are in charge of a lot of things, and and. You know, look, I, I have more confidence in Patricia uh, because I know how smart he is. I know, you know, not that Joe Judge Joe Judge works his ass off too, and I have a lot of respect for Joe, especially as a special teams coach. Um, Matt has a little bit more experience on the offensive side, and obviously Belichick has been grooming him for something. You know, with his uh, sort of uh, variety of roles last year, so I have some I have some more confidence in him. But, uh, you know, it's still it's still a tough look on exactly where this coaching staff is at this point in time. And and we'll have to see how this goes going forward. Ultimately, the biggest question is, is this any good for Mac Jones? It can't be. I, I you know, look, if you if, if people out there want to have faith in Bill Belichick, that at 70, he still knows exactly what he's doing, even though this is a complete departure from what he's done in any of his previous years, especially the Super Bowl years, 
then that's fine. I respect that. And I res- obviously I respect Bill. And he has earned many lifetimes of uh, trust to see this through. But if I'm Mac Jones and I'm coming off a pretty good rookie season, um, I just lost the guy who who tutored me the entire time. And, you know, from what I heard, yes, Mac Jones is very smart. We all know this. Mac Jones needed a lot of coaching. He needed a lot of help last year. And that's not going to change this year. He's not suddenly, if you think Mac Jones is suddenly a 10-year vet, the people that I've talked to, they don't believe that that is going to be the case. Maybe Belichick knows otherwise. Maybe he thinks that Mac Jones is ready to basically be like, you know, Tom Brady year five, year 10. I don't know. Maybe. I'm not going to discount that. But if I'm Mac Jones, I want a QB guru, somebody who has a track record, has done it for years of developing quarterbacks, of years of studying the position across the league, across the NFL, and somebody who has a plan for me, a proven plan to keep me going on an upward trajectory. And I just don't see that person on the staff, especially if it's Joe Judge being the quarterback's coach, which we think. He said, I am going to be coaching Mac. He will be with other people. Um, I don't see this as how how this is the best avenue for Mac Jones to continue his upward trend. I just – I don't see it, Nick. I don't know Far if you feel any different. Far from ideal. Look, I want an experienced play caller in there. I want an experienced quarterback coach in there. I would have loved Bill O'Brien. We talked about it when I was back at the Airbnb in like January doing it from my kitchen. Uh, we, we talked about Bill O'Brien and the idea of bringing him in and, and that, you know, he, he was to me the, the, the best fit for this kind of a situation. And them going with Patricia and judge absolutely is questionable. It's a, it's a big time question. It's a big time question for everybody, uh, you know, and so it's not ideal. I would hope for one message to the quarterback, as I said, you know, having multiple voices in his head is not good for him, even though he's seemingly a really smart guy. I hope Brian Hoyer can help him. I'm not saying that Brian Hoyer is the magic elixir, but can Brian Hoyer help the situation with Mac Jones? And, uh, you know, obviously there's lots of confidence from Belichick and Jones. As you said, Greg, you know, if from what you've heard, Mac isn't, you know, a 10 year vet and he needed a lot of help with coaching and all of that. If you want to try to take a silver lining out of this, it is that your head coach, Bill Belichick, believes that your second-year quarterback can handle this kind of a situation in these circumstances, which means he has a ton of confidence in Mac Jones in his IQ, in his maturity, his leadership, et cetera, et cetera. One final thing I'll say about this before we get to some good, because there was some good that the assistant yep. coaches talked about. This is the most critical aspect of this franchise for the next five to six years, getting it right with Mac. If you do not get this right with Mac Jones, you, and this is not hyperbole. This is not Stephen A. Smith screaming at you through the television screen. If you do not get Mac Jones right, if you don't handle him correctly, it will set your franchise back four, five, six years. If you don't get this right, if you get this right, you're taking steps forward for the next four, five, six years and you can start to envision this team winning football games again at a high clip. 
You have to get this right. If there's one thing that Belichick has to absolutely 100% get right unequivocally, it is Mac Jones handling him and making sure he develops in the right way. Because if you screw it up, you can't take it back. You can't go back in time. They have to get this right. All right, let's get uh, to the good from the coaches. Lots of Josh Uche talk, Greg. Uh, you know, we, we talked about him after the draft here on the pod. Uh, we said the draft led us to believe that they're looking for more from Uche this year. Uh, mm-hmm. What did Steve Belichick say about Uche and what'd you take from it? I was surprised because Steve Belichick in these, he doesn't really say much of any substance at all. He takes after his father, uh, you know, God love him. Like him. <laughs> he, he does. He sounds just like a younger version. And you're just like, all right, now nah, I want to shoot myself uh, listening <laughs> to this. But, you know, when he was asked about Josh Uche, he actually sort of perked up. And, and he said, I see him as part of the blueprint. I see him being an important piece to the puzzle for us going forward. There's a lot of other factors to it besides what he's, he, what he's going to do. We got to see what everybody else does and work the pieces around from there. But I see Josh being a big part of this defense. We'll see how the competition plays out. I mean, for Steve Belichick to stay that, I mean, you know, holy cow. I mean, that's high praise from Steve Belichick that he actually said, you know, that he saw somebody being a big part of the defense. He doesn't say anything like that ever. So finally, the stuff that we talked about a year ago about Josh Uche possibly being an impact player, it looks like it's going to come to fruition. And thank goodness. I mean, it's about time. Uh, And you could see in his stints last year that, you know, especially when it came to just rushing the passer, he was very impactful um, in the snaps that he got. And, uh, you know, they're looking for a guy. They didn't They didn't draft a guy like, say, Jermaine Johnson that they could have uh, to put out there. They didn't draft anybody at edge. And so w- what you have left are Josh Uche and Ronnie Perkins. He also somewhat talked up Ronnie Perkins, but it wasn't nearly what he said about Josh Uche. Um, so to me, I got excited. I heard Steve Belichick say that, and uh, – I, I think that this is great, that, that they have – and this is where he should be. He should be the starting uh, edge player opposite Matthew Judon. He should play on all the downs. He's that type of player. He has that type of speed. He has young legs. He has explosive ability. Uh, just trust him. Let him play and let him screw up if he needs to. He will learn. He's a smart guy. And let's go forward and see what that looks like. Yeah, I gave the silver linings during our draft podcast because I was so tired of just the nonstop hate and, and criticism of everything. Not to say that the, the Patriots hit it out of the park, but uh, as far as how we initially feel, we'll ultimately understand what they did in, in two or three years. But one of the main takeaways from me, and as I said it, you know, if you wanted this team to be faster on defense, if you wanted this team to be fast overall, especially on offense, if you wanted Belichick to finally give these young guys, the opportunity, that's what it's all about. You know, when you look at the draft, that this is giving Uche, this is giving Perkins, this is giving maybe Anthony Jennings. It's giving those guys an opportunity to make a difference. I'm all for it. Let's see what Uche has. He has absolutely shown flashes. He's a second-round pick. He's a talented guy. Give him a shot. Give him this opportunity. And if he, if he hits, then you've got him and Judon on each you know end, which is fine by me. Uh, also, some good stuff about Cam McGrone yesterday and the day before, Greg. Yeah, Steve talked about him the other day, but I was just looking at my quote because I asked Gerard Mayo about McGrone yesterday. Yeah. And um, 
Mayo said, uh, you know, when when he was out there last year, and if you remember, he did come out. He had the ACL at Michigan. They drafted him. And he finally got back. He was able to practice for two weeks, and then they reverted back to IR. But, the, you know, so the team got to see him, and he said, uh, Mayo said, what I did see out there last year was a guy who could still fly around, make a bunch of plays in the run game and the pass game. So we'll have to see. I don't want to put anything out there. We'll have to see how it goes. But at the end of the day, we're expecting them to help the room. You know, and Steve Belichick said similar that, you know, he that last year, Cameron Grown, when he was out there, didn't look out of place despite all his circumstances. You put all that together, Nick, and that that makes me excited because I think that, you know, what I saw on film out of Cameron Grown coming out of Michigan was he's undersized. He's like six one. He's like probably now that he's been in the pros for a year, probably about 230 pounds and undersized linebacker. But he he has the ability, if you remember what Alandon Roberts was like, Alandon Roberts just, you know, another step above, like a little bit, yeah. uh, you know, a better athlete, more sudden, can fly around. So if you're looking, everyone was like, oh, well, we need the linebackers. We need to be able to be smaller and quicker and more athletic. McGrone should be able to give you that. So when you put him together with Juwan Bentley, who's sort of the senior guy in the room that can school the guys, you have Raquan McMillan, you have Mac Wilson, who they traded for, and you have Cam McGrone. If if what they saw last year is a good indication, then that's another positive where you have, you know, you're starting to see young guys at different levels develop. Now, would I have liked to have seen more Josh Uche last year and some of these younger guys, Ronnie Perkins a little bit more to to get those young legs out there? Yes. But Bill is stuck in his ways and he's going to do what he's going to do. But that they're talking about these guys now this way, it's better late than never, that they are starting to see some younger talent develop as we go forward. On both sides of the ball, what it comes down to to me, in-house evaluation. And if if the guys in the house, if Belichick and his staff evaluated these players correctly and they hit on a couple of them, this team is probably going to be better than people expect. And that's on both sides of the ball. Again, you know, if, if you kind of envision the John O. Smith role changing and you've evaluated him after a year, you use him differently and you get more out of him. All right. You go out, you get Parker, you draft Thornton that, that can move around Aguilar. Maybe you get more out of him. Maybe you have Bourne be more of a gadget guy and, and a little bit more involved in the offense, even more than he was involved last year. Okay. It, defensively, if McGrone hits or Raquan McMillan hits, and, and McMillan has shown flashes in the NFL, if if Mac Wilson, if you know you brought him in, if he were, it's all about in-house evaluation. If they hit on these players, they're not going to hit on every single one. That's unreasonable to expect. But if they hit on a couple of these guys, I do think that makes the defense better than a lot of people expect it to be. Uh, they also like the rookies so far, Greg, but they've admitted they haven't done much so. You know, yeah, we'll we'll, yeah. we'll kind of save opinion for that until you get to start to see them. Uh, but before we get yeah, to the, next uh, next week, speaking of that, we might have to delay the pod or maybe do an additional pod because we will get to see uh, the team a week from tomorrow. So Thursday, we will have access yep. to practice. So that that'll be fun. Access to practice is is always a big deal. Um, speaking of big, before we get to the uh, member question of the day, Big Daddy Vince Wilfork elected. Patriots Hall of Fame. I love the guy. He's a great personality. He's a very good leader for this football team. Incredibly productive. A vital part of that of that defense when they were really good. Of course, he deserves it. Greg, just a couple thoughts on uh, Big Vince. 
Yeah, Vince is a guy, um, congratulations to him and Bianca and the rest of the family. He's a guy that I've known Vince since he was a teenager, since he was at Santa Lucia's High School in Boynton Beach, Florida. Uh, I covered him in high school. Uh, I've known him a very long time. Uh, I have a, you know, I have a lot of respect for Vince. I, I think, you know, what comes to mind and, and, you know, look, I don't make a big deal out of the Patriots Hall of Fame. It's more for the fans and the crafts than anything else. Um, you know, it, all the good players will get in there eventually. And, uh, but you know, just what stands out is just, you know, the unselfish nature of Vince as, as a two gap nose tackle, that was, it's vital for the scheme. And I think, you know, thinking about Vince this week with his election just made me think like, you know, since he left and since he went to the Houston Texans, and that was always a contract issue between him and the team. I just don't understand why the Patriots haven't made it more of a priority to find the next Vince Wilfork. You know, like we talked about going into this year's draft and, you know, they got Devon Godchow, but he's not nearly as big as Vince or even in that ballpark. And we talked this year going in, you know, I talked up Jordan Davis and then they had ability to get Travis Jones, uh, you know, to really be in the middle and solidify what's going on there. And, and so, just thinking about Vince and how great he was and how much he meant for the defenses here, where you really didn't have to worry about them defending the run, like ever. Yep. You know, as long as Vince was out there on the first couple downs, you know, and Gerard Mayo even said, you know, having that big guy there, you know, it made a lot of space for me and go make plays and go make tackles. And I just, I hope Bill was listening to some of this this week and realizes we really need that piece if we're going to be a well-rounded defense again and, I, I, my thought was, I loved covering Vince. I loved watching his film. I miss watching uh, Patriots defense with that kind of nose tackle in the middle. Yeah, he was awesome. Uh, the yep. Boston Sports Journal.com member question of the day, BSJ, thirty nine ninety nine on the annual plan, Celtics coverage, Bruins coverage, Sox coverage, of course, Patriots coverage with Greg, video analysis, the coaches film with Greg, uh, direct access to him in weekly chats, thirty nine ninety nine on the annual plan. Uh, what is the question of the day, Greg? So sort of a question. It was more of a statement from B.H. B. Saunders with a Z. Um, and it was off of, and this normally would have been a whole podcast by itself, but I went through the schedule after it came out. I went game by game, and I came out with my very early, way too early prediction for the Patriots was 9-8. and eight. And B.H. took issue with my, Pick. I picked the the Raiders to beat the Patriots in Vegas. He said, Bedard loves Josh McDee. I think there's a big chance he sucks. Tough division, distracting location for players. Horrible track record for BB assistance. Josh was propped up by TB. Not only did he suck in Denver, he sucked with the Rams. That's a win in December. So I just wanted <laughs> to shout out there. And I just wanted to say, look, he may be right about a lot of these things. And there's already stuff going on with the Raiders and, and the front office and, and things like that. They've had a lot of departures, um, you know, and it, there are a lot of distractions there. And we don't we have no idea whether an NFL team is going to work in Vegas, um, you know, with that distraction there and, and, and all of that. But uh, look, a couple of things. Number one. Former Belichick assistants kind of do a good job against the Patriots. I mean, even Matt Patricia beat their ass in Detroit. All right. Mangini used to own the Patriots, like with the Browns and the Jets somewhat. Uh, you know, Brian Flores. Hello. Brian Flores did a good job against the Patriots. And and the other thing was, do you remember when Josh McDaniels was coached with the Broncos? Yes. It, you know, it was a tough tenure ultimately. 
Uh, but do you remember when he played the Patriots his first season? He beat the Patriots in overtime with Kyle Orton at quarterback. So let's let's dial it back a little bit. Let's not guarantee a victory for the Patriots in that game. Respect that Josh McDaniels is a good cho- coach and might have learned something in the 13 years since he's been a head coach in this league uh, and, and what they've done with that roster and gotten guys like Devontae Adams. Uh, you know, so let's let's dial that back a little bit and let's see how things go because I think that's going to be quite the game between those two teams. Yeah, and I expect to be there live since I'm about a 45-minute flight away. So there you go. I can't wait for that. He's Greg. I'm Nick. We got to run. Hopefully you enjoyed uh, this edition of the Greg Bedard Patriots podcast with Nick Cattles. We'll be back next week. Uh, maybe one, maybe two episodes, depending on practice schedule. Everybody be good, be safe, be healthy. And again, uh, we'll talk to you next week. Go Celtics. And uh, can the Red Sox play better for you?